Welcome to Everyday People. I'm Connor Sweetman. If you had told Andrew Considine at age 15 that he would have been the first one from his class at school to get a job, he wouldn't have believed you. In fact, neither would most people around Manchester. His teachers, his family, his friends. But if you had told them that he would have joined the priesthood at 20, moved to Ireland, fall in love, and then leave the seminary at age 28, he would have laughed at you. Nowadays, Andrew is a personal and professional development coach. That's how I know him. A few years ago, I went to Andrew for some career advice, and he's become a great friend since. I'm fascinated with Andrew's story because of its twists and turns. He's made big decisions and followed through. Not many of us do that. I wanted to find out more, so a few weeks ago, on Holy Thursday actually, we met up in a church in Dublin and we had a chat about it. As we walked in, there was a few people there getting ready for Mass. We sat down in one of the seats near the back of the church. And Andrew tells me about growing up in Manchester. I started smoking at the age of 11. I had my first girlfriend at the age of 13. I drank my first beer at the age of 14. I... um, I was knocking around with guys and getting up to things that were... It wasn't crime, it probably was, but it wasn't heavy crime, you know. Pulling a few strokes, stealing a few gangs and so forth. It was a do or die in Manchester. You got along with it and you went with them or you were out on the, in the cold on your own. And, and um, to the point where I had a contract out on me, as a window cleaner, I was cleaning the windows of this particular family's house and they weren't paying up. Now, the son of this family's house was a known criminal, but he didn't always live at home. And he was in his, he was he was about two or three years, about two years older than me. So he was about 19 when I was 17. And he was, he'd been in and out of prison, this guy. And, and I knew that he lived there and I knew that he he had a serious, serious criminal record and I wouldn't hold back. And yet I kept asking to be paid by the family each time I went back each month and wouldn't. Eventually the father wrote me a cheque and it was something for like £3.50 over three three cleans or something like that, £3.60. Then what had happened there is I was on the bus one evening and uh, 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 somebody at the behind me uh, had a, a sharp, t- uh, sharp instrument uh, pointed in my back and said, um, "Watch your back, you're you're finished." And I remember going down the street one day with my ladders, and the son came along with his, and um, he, he 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 they 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 seriously did me over and uh, put me in hospital, and I had about twenty three stitches in my face. Um, and I remember going through my 17th to 18th year quite petrified, um, working each day, looking over my back. So every day, Andrew would go to work and spend hour after hour observing the lives of people whose windows he was cleaning. And because he was on his own, he had time to reflect. And so he went on cleaning windows, observing and reflecting in solitude for three years. And it was in these years that Andrew began to connect with his God. He began to connect with a side of himself that didn't make sense to him or, or anyone else for that matter. He would go to Mass in secret, write poetry. And one morning I woke up and I just said, I think I want to be a priest. And I thought, whoa. Because matching the person 
with the the vocation or what they call the calling or the the, the desire to be a priest, uh, they didn't fit. I mean, this was going to go down like the the greatest comedy. It was like uh, it was like I was in the closet or something. Like nobody knew. I even <laughs> I was working in secret in terms of my own spirituality. And there was these two lives running, and they were like in battle with each other. I, I remember I, I woke up, I had this thought, I went out to work, and around 11 o'clock I packed up my, 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 my ladders, I went home, and it was like something was taking place, and my mum would come home at lunchtime, and this particular lunchtime, she came home, and I was at home, and uh, she was making some soup, and, uh, and I just said to mum, I, I think I want to be a priest. And she dropped the bowl and uh, spashed all over the place. And she's looking at me still gobsmacked. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? I actually absolutely flabbergasted, lost for words. And I says, I know, I, I don't know where to go with this. And my dad, my dad came in that evening and my mum and dad had a chat with him and then I was called in. It was like I was in, being interviewed by my father that evening. He called me in and he says, you know you can't have sex. <laughs> so Andrew went and joined a religious order and even then they thought he was having a laugh. <laughs> I walk in with an earring in my ear. I had an earring. I forgot. To, I had an earring in my ear since I was seventeen or sixteen. So I had an earring in my ear. And I walk into this college, and the, and the director of the college comes up and he says, "You can get that piece of metal out of your ear, you big puff." A priest, does it? Yeah, he was the director. And when we moved into the church, and he had us all there, the students, he says, "You guys are going to become priests for the, two, the, the for the new millennium." About 48, 48 of you here. Six or seven of you will be ordained. The rest of you, you will be gone. So don't come in here with any illusions that you're going to go through and be this. Sounds like the Navy SEALs or something. Uh, no, the Navy, <laughs> I swear to God, the Navy SEALs or the Army or whatever is chicken feed in comparison to this, um, this, this trait. Andrew starts on this long journey. He puts his head down and gets on with it. He had a lot of work to do to get up to the academic standard, but eventually he achieved his O-levels, then A-levels. He managed to get to college, where he got involved in drama, became interested in English literature, he would do social work in the evenings and weekends, all the while maintaining a strict regimen of prayer and theological study. Andrew comes to Ireland on the last leg of his training. He was put into a parish in Dublin, and that's where things started to unravel a little bit for him. He lived in a house with four other priests who were much older than him, he was 25 and they are all in their 60s and 70s. So he looked around for friends his own age. He became particularly friendly with a woman in the parish. And at first they were just that, they were just friends. Until one night they went out and they ended up kissing. As the bell rings in the church, more people begin to arrive. Mass is starting soon, so Andrew's voice drops to a whisper. I remember at Easter time, I remember, and it's poignant that today is Holy Thursday, because I was, the, the, the following Easter, I was still in that parish, and the relationship had got well on now. I hadn't told anybody. I was holding it for myself. I was going to confession the other time, but I would go outside to somebody, a priest who didn't know me, and confess. But I remember on the Holy Thursday night, and there I am in the church, sweating with pain. I mean guilt, shame. And I was there for about two hours. I was crying, 
I was so ashamed of myself. I was hearing voices like, that's it, you have to leave, get out, all of this. I was seriously conflicted. And I didn't see at the time it was absolute freedom and liberation. And I didn't understand at the time that Jesus couldn't give a shite one way or the other. But at the time I felt he did. And that I was being judged. And it was all in conflict with my belief of an unconditional, compassionate God. And that's what I was struggling with. director of, of vocations or not of vocations but of, of the students came into my room we all had our own rooms and he knocked on the door and he came I will never forget this day he came in and he dropped his coat on the floor like he couldn't even hang it up, he was that nervous and he said to me do you know that the Pope even wants to have sex and I said what is that on the news he says, do you know the Pope can fall in love? I says, yeah. Why? What's this about? He says, I've just thought I'd, I'd bring up this conversation. Are you aware that the, we're all human? Yeah. I mean, I'm very aware, you know, but I'm not letting him know. And I, I'm copping on quite quickly that he's, he's, he's got some information here. And uh, I says, what's this all about? He says, well, we're coming up to the third renewal of your vows, the third vows. And if you got honest now, then we could work through it. They couldn't be honest if it, if it smacked them in the face, you know, when it comes to that. And I thought my time had come. And the next day I was called and I was saying, we're not renewing your vows. I had till the next day to get out, leave Ireland. I had that night to negotiate a package to help me get outside and all they could give me was you're going to laugh at this they gave me uh, ten lessons lorry licence lessons by the way I passed my lorry licence but I never used it ever never used it the last time I was in the lorry was on, the, on my test that was it no reason whatsoever, unless actually the sleep if somebody falls asleep at a lorry and I was able to get into it now, I'd be able to steer it away from a ditch or something. But that's about as far as it goes. Am, am I guilty about it now, by the way? No. I'm so proud of myself. It was all the guilt and the shame that I had to go through. And I grew up through that. I grew up as I became a man then. I was able to work through it. It took years to get rid of the shackles of guilt. And now I work with people who struggle in their lives, their pain, their aspirations, and what they love to do, be, and have. And not to let some ideology take over and, and keep them from realising their potential. That was it. So 
Since leaving the seminary 30 years ago, Andrew has dedicated his life to supporting people in their personal and professional development. He works with businesses and individuals as a speaker, trainer and coach. I went to Andrew for coaching two years ago and I cannot recommend him highly enough. He's very funny, wise, great storyteller, but he's also a great listener, which is what you really want in a coach. Andrew's Twitter handle sums up his work perfectly. It's at InspireAchieve. Make sure to say hello to him on Twitter. You can also check out his website, andrewconstantine.com. This week's episode is only the tip of the Andrew Constantine iceberg. The original interview was over an hour long, so next week I'll be releasing the full unedited interview where we talk about Andrew's work in a lot more detail. To get the next episode and all other episodes, make sure you've subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Everyday People. I'm Connor Sweetman. If you like the show, please tell your friends. You can get in touch with me on Twitter. My handle is at Connor Sweets, or you can email me, Connor at everydaypeople.ie. I'll be back next week with more stories from everyday people.